0: This week in the news, I read a startling statistic, one that I find really hard to get my head around. Maybe you heard it as well. It was in a report published to coincide with the start of the World Economic Forum in Davos in Switzerland. It said Oxfam uh, published this report and they said that the eight richest people in the world, eight, have as much money as the poorest 50% of the world's population. As crazy as it sounds, there are 8 billionaires whose collective wealth is equivalent to all of the combined resources of 3.6 billion people in this world. It's another statistic that shows that there's no doubt that the world that we live in is one of mind-blowing inequality. Where the gap between the rich and the poor continues to get wider and wider and wider. So, the question we want to think about this morning is, how should we respond in this world of incredible wealth? And shocking poverty. Should we look to the rich. And desperately try and live more and more like them. Or should we look to the poor. And be moved with compassion to do all that we can. To help them. Well in 2nd Corinthians Paul made it clear what he thought. I'm going to read 2nd Corinthians chapter 8. And from verse 1 down to verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich Generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he would earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. By comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet for your sakes he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give. give, But also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work. So that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved but you, while well, you are hard-pressed, but that there may be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need then there will be equality, as it is written. He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. In this section, Paul was urging the Christians in Corinth to excel in the grace of giving. He wanted them to be more fully involved and committed to giving to those who were in need. And this was a really pressing issue for Paul, because he was in the middle of organising what he called in, in Romans chapter 15 a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. He was collecting money from the Gentile churches that he had planted to the struggling Jewish followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. And there were a number of reasons why this specific collection was so important for Paul. First of all, it was clearly because these believers were struggling in poverty. These Christians desperately needed help. Secondly, in his previous letter, Paul talked about this work as the collection for God's people. This ministry was about looking after people who, because of their their faith in Jesus, were members of God's family. It was about looking after God's kids. Thirdly, it was what Paul had agreed to do. When he arranged with Peter, James and John that his mission would focus on the Gentiles, while they would focus on the Jews. He talks about it in the book of Galatians, chapter 2. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. So it was part of their agreement. But fourthly, this gift from the Gentile believers to the Jewish believers was a crucially important expression of their unity. The unity of the church. They maybe have been separated by their religious background by their language, by their culture, by their lifestyle. But this gift expressed the reality that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. But fifthly, Paul believed that in a sense the Gentile believers owed it to the Jewish believers. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews spiritual blessings, which he means hearing the gospel and the salvation through faith in Jesus, then he says they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So for Paul, this was an important, a crucially important ministry for a whole heap of reasons. And this church in Corinth that Paul had seen planted had agreed to take part in this. They'd even begun to collect funds for that. We read that in verse 10. Paul said, last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. But as so often happens, good intentions are difficult to follow through into good actions, aren't they? Think about New Year's resolutions, if you've made one. I wonder if you can still remember it. Now it's the 22nd of January. By this stage, most people have forgotten them. Never mind not putting them into practice. And so for some unexplained reason, the Corinthians, their initial enthusiasm to give towards this collection for the poor Christians in Jerusalem, it had just faded away. Maybe they'd just forgotten. Maybe they'd just got distracted by other demands for their resources. Maybe they'd even started to question the reasons behind why they should give to it. Or maybe they'd been giving this money instead to the false apostles. Who'd come into the church and infiltrated and started to teach that wrong gospel. Because back in chapter 2, verse 17, Paul had declared that unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. Implying his opponents, that's exactly what they were doing. They were preaching for money. And so we're a drain on that church's resources. But whatever the reason, Paul was now writing to encourage them to follow through. On their previous commitment. And give graciously to this crucially important appeal. Now finish the work. He says in verse 12. He didn't want them just to be all talk. He wanted them really to give. And so here he's encouraging them to excel in the grace of giving. Now of course today we face a a very different situation. And in many ways a different world. And yet there are still people in desperate need of our help. There are millions of people living in poverty. Without adequate food or shelter or clothing or sanitation or education or health care. And many of them are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, although our circumstances are different, Paul teaches us here a number of principles that are incredibly relevant for us today. To encourage us to graciously give to those who are in need. A number of different principles that we can apply. But look back back at verse 1, please. The first way that Paul encouraged the Corinthians to give graciously was by telling them... About the Christians in Macedonia, which was the the neighbouring province to Achaia where Corinth was. So here is Corinth in, in the province of Achaia, and here is Macedonia. So he says, we want you to know about the grace of God that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Paul had been incredibly encouraged by the evidence of God's grace at work. In the lives of the Christians in places like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, where Paul had planted churches. And that was because, in verse 2 he says, because their giving was marked, marked by rich generosity. They hadn't given the bare minimum. They hadn't tried to give as little as possible, as little as they could get away with. They weren't mean. They weren't tight-fisted. Instead, verse 3, they gave as much as they were able. And this is the kind of generosity that God has always looked for in his people. Way back in the Law of Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, it said this, Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards the poor, your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed. And freely lend whatever he needs. So in the nation of Israel, God wanted the, his people to be generous towards those who were in need. And Jesus, he taught Matthew chapter 5 verse 42, Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. God's people should be people who give generously. Generously. But sometimes we think, well, I don't have very much. I can't really do that. But the Christians in Macedonia, they didn't have very much either. Because they were facing real financial difficulty, but that didn't prevent them from giving. See what it says in verse 2? Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their... Extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. These Christians didn't give away their loose change or their discretionary income, money they could just it wasn't really a big a big bother to give away. They gave away money that they really needed for themselves. They gave verse three again, they gave even beyond their ability. They gave when it really hurt them to give. They gave sacrificially. God doesn't want us to stop giving when it hurts us or when it costs us. He wants us to keep on giving even when it involves a sacrifice. Of course, God wants us to give more than just our money. He wants us to give our whole lives. This is what the Macedonians did. Verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Their contribution to the poor was just part of their complete dedication of their whole lives to God and to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is how God wants us to give. Not just our money, but also our time, our energy, our friendship, our service, our gifts, our love. Paul calls us in Romans 12 to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. To give ourselves completely to God and to the service of his people. This is what it means to live as a Christian. This is what it means to follow Jesus. But if this giving is going to be acceptable to the Lord, then how we give is more important than what we give. It can't come grudgingly or out of a sense of duty or guilt. Paul wrote about the Macedonians in verse 4. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They weren't desperate to do it. Paul, he didn't impose this collection on the Macedonians. He didn't give them targets to reach in their giving. Or even tell them what percentage they should be giving of their income. In fact, he didn't even ask them to get involved. I think probably it was because he felt so bad for them because of the poverty that they were experiencing themselves. He probably just didn't have the heart to ask them for anything because he knew what they were going through. But these Christians didn't need to be asked. They enthusiastically volunteered to give. In fact, they insisted in contributing to this fund because they passionately believed that sharing with God's people was an amazing privilege. And they didn't want to miss out on this privilege of serving God in this way. And we'll see that being emphasized throughout this little section 8, chapter 8 and chapter 9 of this letter, that if our giving is going to honor God, then it must not be given reluctantly or under compulsion. It has to come from an eager, willing heart. If you do it just out of duty, if you do it because everybody else is doing it, if you do it because you want to be seen to be doing it, or if you do it just because you feel guilty about not doing it, then it's worth nothing to God. It's only a value, it's only pleasing to Him if it comes from our hearts. That's because... If our giving is going to please God, then it needs to be out of an expression of love. This is what Paul said in verse 8. I'm not commanding you. I wasn't going to tell the Corinthians to give. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He didn't give an order for these Corinthians to give. He wasn't going to be drawn into a a legalistic rule or regulation about how much to give or what percentage to give or when to give or any of those kind of things. But he did challenge them that their eagerness to give was a reflection on their love for God and for his people. It was Amy Carmichael who said that you can give without loving, but you cannot love. Without giving. And the Apostle John agreed with this in his letter. 1 John chapter 3 verse 17 and 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love not with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. But of course, this doesn't mean that our love can be measured by the actual monetary value of our gift. Verse 12, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has. Sorry, is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Some of the richest men in the world have given incredible amounts of money, haven't they? Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft. He has given something like $38 billion to his charitable foundation. Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, he pledged to his new daughter that in his lifetime he would give away something like 99% of his net worth. which works out to something like $45 billion. And yet in God's eyes, their giving doesn't mean that our giving is completely insignificant. Doesn't mean that our giving is meaningless and worthless and and, and we just might as well just not give. Jesus taught this principle one day when he sat at the temple and watched his people put in offerings into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in huge amounts of money. But then a poor widow came in and put in two tiny copper coins. In monetary terms, these copper coins were worth nothing compared to the rich amount, the vast amounts that the rich people had put in. But Jesus told his disciples, this poor widow has put into the treasury, put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. So God doesn't measure our giving the same way that the world does. Doesn't measure our giving in absolute terms. Instead he measures what we give proportionately. According to our means, according to our lifestyles, according to our resources, according to our income. And so Paul wrote here that what he was looking for was equality. Verse 13, our desire is not that others might be relieved while well, you're hard-pressed, but there might be equality. He wanted Christians with more to give more to those who had less. So as far as possible, everybody's needs would be met. That meant in this case that the richer Christians like those in Corinth, which was a wealthy city, should give to the poor ones like those in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. I think if we apply that principle, it means that those of us who live in this wealthier part of the world should be willing to share our money with those who live in some of the poorest parts of this world. But I think we can also apply this even in our own community, in our own church. That principle, principle of equality of all of our resources. Whether it's our time, or our energy, or our health and strength, our friendship, our Bible knowledge, our spiritual gifts, our life experiences. God hasn't given them all of these amazing gifts to us just for our benefit. He wants us to use them for the common good. And ultimately for the building of his kingdom. So this is the grace of Of giving that God wants us to excel in. To give to those in need. Graciously, generously, sacrificially, completely, eagerly, lovingly, proportionately, and equitably. But why? Why should we as Christians be willing to give to those who have so little? Why should we be willing to share what we have, what is ours, for the benefit of others? Well, Paul here says that our, our grace of giving should be a response to and a reflection of the grace that we have received. This wonderful verse in verse nine of this chapter. You know the grace of our Lord of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. If you're here on Christmas Eve, this is the verse that we focused on in our Christmas Eve carol service. It is his loving gift to us that we could never earn or win or work for or be worthy of or pay back. It tells us of the eternal worth Of Jesus as God's Son. That he was rich in his person. And his position and his power and his possessions. And his purity and his praise. That this was his right, his entitlement. That the whole universe is his. And that he deserves all of the praise and all of the glory and all of the honour. And yet the eternal Son of God set aside his glory. He set aside his magnificence and his self-sufficiency to become a human being. Born into poverty. Living in humility. Dependent on the charity of others for his everyday needs to be met. But it really was only at the cross That we see the real depth of the poverty that Jesus experienced. When he stepped into the ultimate poverty of our sinfulness. When he became sin for us. When he experienced the wrath that should have been ours. When he accepted our punishment. When he suffered our separation. When he died our death. And he did it all for us. (coughs) He became poor so that we could experience His riches. So that we could be released from the poverty of our sinfulness and our helplessness and our hopelessness. And so that we could become the children of God. Rejoicing in the forgiveness of God. Dressed in the righteousness of God. Filled with the love of God. Living for the glory of God. Dwelling forever in the presence of God. This is the outrageously amazing grace of Jesus we have received. And this is the reason why we should give. This is the example that we should follow. This is the standard that we should move towards. And this is what should motivate us. To graciously give to those in need. It's the cross of Jesus, where He gave Himself for us, that can transform our selfish and self centered hearts and fill us with such enduring and humble gratitude for all that we have received that will then motivate us and move us to excel. In the grace of giving. Why should we, as God's people, be generous and gracious givers? Because we have received so much at such a great cost the cost of the cross.